0: Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ECHOEGT.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ECHOEGT. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. Bless the Lord. Hey, take your Bible out with me tonight and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to begin reading in verse 14. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, reading out of the New Living Translation. And uh, it's our 15th sermon in the book of 1 Corinthians. So, my dear brothers, flee from the worship of idols. You are reasonable people. Decide for yourselves if what I am saying is true. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table... Are we not sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, are we not sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Think about people, the people of Israel. Were they not united by eating the sacrifices at the the altar? What am I trying to say? Am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. I am saying that... I'm, I got new glasses, so I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to learn this. What I am saying, trying to say, I'm getting dizzy here. They're getting old, is bad. You can't breathe, you can't see. <laughs> My Lord. Verse 19, they are. What am I trying to say? Am I saying that food offered to idols had some significance or that idols are real gods? Dear Lord, I can't see. No, not at all. Thank you. That's all that matters if you look good, right? I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons and not to God. I don't want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. And you cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. What? Do we dare to rouse the Lord's jealousy? Do you think we are stronger than he is? You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Amen? Amen? So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord and everything in it. And if someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. And eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. Now, parenthesis, verse 28. But suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it. Out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. For why, why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why why should I be condemned for eating it? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I, too, try to please everyone and everything I do. Don't just do what is best. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. Can you say amen? amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have to share your word this evening I pray that you'll open up our hearts, give us ears that would hear what the Holy Spirit is saying, and God, may we leave this place tonight knowing that we have been in your presence and everybody said amen. amen. Last week, we closed by declaring that we can overcome any testing or any temptation that comes our way because the Father has made a way for us to escape. Can you say amen? Amen. And we spoke about the importance of taking heed to one's self and not thinking that one will never fall. We addressed the issue of spiritual pride and how spiritual pride can give you a a blind spot and how that blind spot can cause you to get closer to the fire than you need to be. And before you know it, you get burned. Now let's talk just a minute about... A battle plan. You know, in a culture filled with moral depravity and sin-inducing pressures, Paul gave strong encouragement to the Corinthians about temptation. Now, now, Paul told us, and we looked at this last week, that wrong desires and temptations happen to everyone, so don't feel as though you've been singled out. Remember, he says the same temptation that has come against you is common to everyone, Others have resisted the temptation, so so can you. Any temptation can be resisted because God will help you resist it. So that's the battle plan. Understand, you can resist. You can stand up under the pressure because God will enable you. God gives you a way to resist temptation by helping you. So I think a great battle plan is something like this recognize people and situations that give you trouble recognize them there are there there may be some unhealthy people in your life that you need to have some boundaries with amen so recognize that run from everything you know is wrong if you know it's wrong don't dabble with it if you know it's wrong then don't don't get close to it stay away run away Choose to do only what is right. Choose to do what is right in your circumstance. Another thing you should do is pray. Pray for God's help. Pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is a great battle plan. Seek friends who love God and can support you when you are being tempted. Friends who have the same vision, the same faith that you have. You know, running from temptation or a tempting situation is your first step on the way to victory. Listen to what Paul writes to Timothy in his second letter, chapter 2, verse 22. He says, "Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts." So Paul told Timothy, run from anything that stimulates lust in your life, that is tempting. So running from a tempting situation is your first step on the way to victory. Let's talk first of all about Paul's command and Paul's encouragement for the Corinthians to flee idolatry. Go back to verse 14. He says, my friends, flee from the worship of idols. Now, immediately you think, you know what? I don't bow down to some wooden structure. I don't bow down to some golden figurine. So he's not talking about me. Let's apply this to some modern things in our life. Flee from the worship of idols. And in verse 15, he says, you are reasonable people. Decide for yourselves if what I am saying is true. Now, the city of Corinth was filled with with several temples to foreign gods. Statues to those so-called gods filled the temples. Corinth was was a culture that was steeped in idolatry. So there's questions like, how, how was the, the Christian to operate in this type culture? What was the Christian to do? Could they attend these pagan festivals and their cultic temples and, and not be affected? If they were free to eat meat sacrificed to idols and, 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 and then sold in the marketplace, then was it okay to attend the cultic festivals in these temples? Let me read what one commentary writes. Paul told the Corinthian believers to flee from idolatry. Idol worship was the major expression of religion in Corinth. There were several pagan temples in the city. They were very popular. And the statues of wood or stone, they were not evil in themselves, but people gave them credit for what only God could do, such as provide water, uh, good weather, and crops, and, and even children. And the writer says this, idolatry is still a serious problem today, but it takes a different form. We don't put our trust in statues of wood and stone, but in paper money and plastic cards. Trusting anything for what God alone provides is idolatry. Our modern idols are those symbols of power, pleasure, prestige, that our culture so highly regards. And when we understand contemporary parallels to idolatry, Paul's words flee from idolatry, reveal a choice that we must make every day. A choice that we're not going to depend on anything else but God. We're not going to depend on man. We're not going to depend on money. We're not going to depend on... We're going to depend on God. He's the source of all good and perfect gifts. Can you say amen? amen? Now, Paul told them, decide for yourselves. You are reasonable people, so decide for yourselves if what I am saying is true. So he's appealing to their ability to reason. He's, abil- he's appealing to a common sense approach. Now, the challenge the believers in Corinth was many of them came out of the cultic practices. Many of them were saved from or out of the very temple worship the apostle is describing here. So the temptation they are facing is to get close to the fire and try not to get burned. And that was a very real temptation to them. However, the opposite is so often the story, I got too close and I got burned. The idea is not to find how close to the world you can become and still be saved. The idea is to be a witness for Christ in all situations. As you read this and you begin to study this passage, you say, well, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to my life? Well, you and I are faced with many decisions of where our allegiance is going to be. And our allegiance must always be to God, be to Christ. So, naturally the question comes, as you look at the, discuss, the, the discussion in the scripture, is what are you aden- identifying with? So he uses the Lord's table as analogy. He is describing what happens when we take communion together. He's describing what happens when we come to the Lord's table. There's an identification that's taking place. It's more than just elements. It's more than just that bread and juice. It's more than just going through the, the, the symbolism of it. But there's something actually taking place in the Lord's Supper. And he uses that as an analogy of why we're not to come into agreement and the Corinthians were not to participate in the festivities that were taking place in temple, in the cultic temple practices. So look at verse 16. When we bless the cup of the Lord's table, are we not sharing in the blood of Christ? When we break the bread... Are we not sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. So notice the the importance of what communion is, the importance of what the Lord's, Lord's cup is and the Lord's table. We're participating in the finished work of what Christ has accomplished. So it's more than just something we do once a quarter. It's more than just something we do when we feel moved on and we take communion together. There we are participating in what Christ has accomplished. You're coming into agreement with those things. So when we bless the cup, we're sharing in the blood of Christ. When we break the bread, we're sharing in the body of Christ. And though we are many... But yet we eat from one loaf, one bread, signifying we're one body. See, there's spiritual parallel there. So Paul says, you can't, you can't live like you used to live. God's brought you out of that lifestyle. And when you continue to participate in that lifestyle, you're coming into agreement with that lifestyle. And how can you do that when you come into agreement with what Christ has accomplished? So this can apply so so many areas of our life. What God wants is your allegiance. What God wants is your heart. What God wants is your life. You're participating in his suffering, his death, his resurrection. We participate in the effects of the finished work of Christ. Now let's follow the reasoning the argument a little bit further what am i trying to say am i saying that food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods he says no they're not real and 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 food is food but but notice what he says i'm saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons See, the problem is, is what, what's actually taking place in the spiritual realm. That wood statue really means nothing. That, that, that food, listen, God fills the earth with his glory. He's created everything. That's, that's just an animal. But that's been used in that, that temple worship and sacrifice to demons. So when you are a part of that, of that service you're part of that festival, then you're coming into agreement with that. So be careful what we come into agreement with. Be careful what we participate in. Because what we participate, we may think it's nothing, but we may be coming into agreement so some unhealthy things. That's gonna bring some unhealthy soul ties. That's gonna bring some unhealthy consequences. So important for us to realize. Now, I'm saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons and not to God. I don't want you to participate with demons. Now, I remind you that many of these believers They came out of that cultic worship. So, in the sake of freedom, they say, hey, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. I'm under grace. So, they were not just eating meat from the marketplace, which Paul had already said, listen, that's okay if it's not violating your conscience. You don't know exactly where that meat came from, even though it's very likely it was used. But but listen, it's just sold in the common marketplace, He's talking here about going to the cultic festivals and participating in what the pagans are doing as if it doesn't affect you, as if it doesn't doesn't bother you. But how can the temple of God align with the temple of Belial? How can the temple of God, the born-again Christian, align with Belial? ungodliness so Paul says the idol is just a wood statue the, the food is just food but it's what the sacrifice that's what the problem is right. and they're sacrificing to demons why are we so passionate about preaching the gospel Establishing beachheads all across the world and declaring that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Because Jesus said, either for me or against me. Jesus leads us to the Father. Other ways are not leading to the capital G, they're leading to the little g, and it's demonic in origin. It's the lie of Satan. That there's many paths, many ways. Oh, long as you are, long as you are faithful in what you do in those things, it doesn't matter who you pray to. It matters who you pray to. It matters what you bow your knee to. It matters how you live. It matters what you come into alignment. With Verse 21, you cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons, too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons, too. What? Do we dare? Do we dare to rouse the Lord's jealousy? You think you're stronger than he is? And what Paul is doing, he's bringing a rebuke to their cavalier attitude. Sometimes we can have a cavalier attitude. Oh, that won't affect me. I'm strong. That won't affect me. I won't ever fall. I won't ever do what they did. Paul says, "Don't arouse the Lord's jealousy." Do you think you're stronger than he is? Idols are nothing more than wood and stone, but they're consecrated to demons. Do not participate with demons. See, followers of Christ must give him total allegiance. They cannot, as Paul explains, have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Eating at the Lord's table means communing with Christ and identifying with his death. Eating at the at, at the demons' table means identifying with Satan by worshiping and promoting pagan or evil activities. So one writer says this, are you trying to lead two lives following the desires of both Christ and the crowd? The Bible says that you cannot do both at the same time. And we can't. But understand the significance as Paul is appealing to their reasoning. He says, listen, when you take the Lord's table, you're coming to agreement. So be careful what you come into agreement with outside. Of the Lord's. There are some unhealthy things that will creep into our homes by our unhealthy soul ties that we've come into agreement thinking, oh, that won't bother me. Oh, I'm okay. Oh, I'm safe. Oh, there's no reason. I'm not going to. I know where my heart is. Well, notice what Paul says. You can't go to that cultic temple. You can't go to that place. And you can't participate in those sacrifices and not think it's going to affect you. Don't see how close to the world you can get. See how much full of the Holy Spirit you can live. See how close to God you can live. That's what is important. Now, let's talk about Paul's command. To be concerned for others. Look at verse 23. You say. Now remember this letter is a response to some letters full of questions the Corinthians are asking. And some of the responses are some cliche statements that they've come up with. These kind of just one liners that just say what they really mean. So. Here's one. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. I'm free. I'm under grace. Those things don't affect me. I'm saved. You say, I can do anything. Listen to what Paul says, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. I'm free. Who are you to infringe on my freedom? Who are you to judge me? Listen to what Paul says but not everything is beneficial. Right. Now verse 24 is so important. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Yeah. So these are cliche statements. The Corinthians had many one-liners and they seemed to relate to what they called freedom. I'm allowed to do what I want. But Paul's clear, not everything is good for you. Not everything is beneficial. Paul is telling the Corinthians to look out for your brother and your sisters, not just yourself. But but to be concerned about one another, not just what you think is right, not just what you say is my liberty. Think about your brother. Think about your sister. And the rule of thumb is there in verse 24. Don't be concerned about your own good, but for the good of others. In other words, take self out. Take what you want out. Take what you call freedom out and place others there. Do what is good for one another. Let's talk about deference, to defer to someone else. It's difficult to know at times when to defer to weaker believers. Sometimes it's even difficult to to spot them. Sometimes, let's be honest, their their existence can be used as a tool for control. Now, Now, notice what Paul's example, it doesn't include the helpful third party, someone who takes it upon themselves to say, you shouldn't do that. There might be somebody weaker around you. No, Paul's example limits responsibility to direct awareness. When one believer says to another, you know, I'm uncomfortable with what you're about to do. Or do you know where that meat came from? The response gives an opportunity for compassion. The response gives an opportunity. You know what? I myself might be free to do that. But my brother's got a problem with that. So love says, I'm not going to be brash. I'm not going to say, get over it, (laughs) grow up. No, love says, I'm going to withstand from my freedom because I don't want to cause my brother to stumble. Now, God is always calling us higher. He's not calling you to legalism. He's calling you to mature. He's calling you to grow. So, over time, we should be able to grow in our doctrine, grow in our understanding, grow in the word, grow in our relationship with God. That the things that maybe we saw were offensive before may not be offensive right now. Now, We're not talking about things that go against the law of Christ. We're not talking about things that go against the law of God. We're talking about matters of conscience. We're talking about matters that it's not black and white issues. Word of God is very plain about a whole lot of things. And there's no argument about that. It's black and white. It's just there. You know, because God has identified it. But there's some things in our life that are not. And that's where the matter of conscience comes in. And in this particular instance, there were a couple different things that Paul was dealing with. There was the normal routine activity of going to the marketplace where they had to daily buy their provision. They had to daily buy the meat that would satisfy their family for that day. And Paul says in that context, listen, it's okay to eat meat. It's okay to partake of that. But now, if your conscience doesn't allow you, then, then don't do it. But here in chapter 10, there were those that took it a little bit further. Well, if it's okay to eat meat, then it's okay to go to the cultic temple. It's okay to go to and participate in the festivals and uh, participate in the sacrificial uh, exercises they're doing. You know, I don't believe in that anymore because I come out of that, but, but I'm still going to participate in that. And Paul says, whoa, 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 you can't do that because you understand that when you take the Lord's table, you take that, 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 that bread, you're partaking of the body. When you take that cup, you're partaking of the, of, of the finished work of Christ. So, so when, when you're in that Climate, you're in that area where they're sacrificing. They're not sacrificing to God, they're sacrificing to demons. And how can you participate in that work of darkness? He says, You can't do that. Deference. Paul describes a simple rule of thumb to help in making the decision, and that is we should be sensitive. And gracious. The goal here is not a general hypersensitivity that worries about what others might possibly think, and then you're living in fear and thinking you're going to do something wrong. No, it is a genuine awareness of others and a willingness to limit what we do when there is a real possibility of misunderstanding. And offense. Some actions may not be wrong, but they may not be in the best interest of others. We have a freedom in Christ, but we should not exercise our freedom at the cost of hurting a Christian brother or sister. We're not to consider only ourselves. We must also consider the needs and perspectives of others. So the goal is to seek to live without offense. So go to verse 25. There seems to be a little contradiction, but, but, but remember the context of what we're talking about. So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. And if invited to a non-believer's home, go. Look at verse 27. If someone who isn't a believer asks you to go home to a dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. But then Paul adds a, a hypothetical. You know what a hypothetical is? It might happen, it may not happen, but if it does happen, consider it. So notice this hypothetical. But suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol. Then don't eat it. So he just told you to eat. But then he says don't eat. But notice the context. Okay. If they're raising the question. Yeah. Then that's a signal. That's an understanding, That it bothers them. There's something there. It's violating their conscience. So, so this is what love does. Love doesn't tell them. Get over it. Right. Grow up. Love says, I'm going to give up my freedom so that I don't become a stumbling block to them. Yeah. Now, what areas in your life can you practice that same principle? Now, notice verse 29. After the hypothetical, he says, for why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? Charles Hodge, a theologian, writes this. The very thing that the apostle has in view is to induce the strong to respect the weak. They might eat sacrificial meat at private tables with freedom so far as they they themselves are concerned, but why, he asks, should they do it so as to give offense and cause the weak to condemn and then speak evil? Of them. And then verse 31 is really the key. Do all for the glory of God. Do all that God might be glorified. And if you have this question in your mind, if what I'm going to do, is it going to give God glory? And you cannot answer in the affirmative absolutely, then hey, let there be a check in your spirit. Do everything to the glory of God. Everything to the honor of God. Everything so that God himself will be glorified in your life. Now look at verse 33. Look what Paul's goal is. Paul's goal is that many will be saved. The goal in everything we do, do should always be the propagation of the gospel of Christ. If the goal is for you to get your way, if the goal is for you to show forth your freedom and how mature you are, you're missing the boat. You're actually in bondage. That's not freedom. True freedom is when you can lay it down for the sake of someone else. True freedom is when you can accept some restrictions for the good of your brother or your sister. Verse 33, I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others. Why? So that many may be saved. The goal is the salvation of the lost. The goal is the salvation of your brother, your sister. The goal is that others will be encouraged in their faith. The new King James says, but the prophet of many, that they may be saved. So what I want to do in closing is I want to read this out of a modern translation. I want to read the whole passage again, really out of a paraphrase. And I want you to listen closely as I read it. As we've taken time to discuss, take, as we've taken time to teach on this matter, now listen, I'm reading out the message. So, my very dear friends, when you see people reducing God to something they can use or control, get out of their company as fast as you can. I assume I'm addressing believers now who are mature. Draw your own conclusions. When we drink the cup of blessing... Are we not? Are not we taken into ourselves the blood, the very life of Christ? And isn't it the same with the loaf of bread? We break and eat? Don't we take into ourselves the body, the very life of Christ? Because there is one loaf, our many-ness becomes oneness. Christ doesn't become fragmented in us. Rather, we become united in him. We don't reduce Christ to what we are. He raises us to what he is. Isn't that powerful? We're not bringing him down to it. He's raising us. So when you participate, you come into agreement with the bread With the Jews, you come in agreement with the broken body of Christ. He's not coming down to your level. He's lifting you up to what your purpose and reality is in him. Verse 18, that's basically what happened even in old Israel. Those who ate the sacrifices offered on God's altar entered into God's action at the altar. So when they would take, they would, they would take part of that sacrifice home, and they as a family would eat that all together. And it was a, a fellowship meal as they were participating in what took place at the altar. Yeah. It's powerful imagery. Do you see the difference? Sacrifices offered to idols are offered to nothing, for what's the idol but a nothing? Or worse than nothing, a minus, a demon. I don't want you to become part of something that reduces you to less than yourself. And you can't have it both ways, banqueting with the master one day and slumming with demons the next. Besides, the master won't put up with it. He wants us all or nothing. Do you think you can get off? with anything less looking at it one way you could say anything goes because of God's immense generosity and grace we don't have to dissect and scrutinize every action to see if it will pass muster but the point is not to just get by we want to live well But our foremost efforts should be help to others live well. Oh, me. It's not just to get by. You want to live well. And the goal is to help others live well, too. With that as a base to work from, common sense can take you the rest of the way. Eat anything sold at the butcher shop, for instance. You don't have to run an idolatry test on every item. The earth, after all, is God's and everything in it. That's everything. Certainly includes the leg of lamb in the butcher shop. If a non-believer invites you to dinner and you feel like going, go ahead and enjoy yourself. Eat everything placed before you. It would be both bad manners and bad spirituality to cross-examine your host on the ethical purity of each course as it is served. On the other hand, if he goes out of his way to tell you that this or that was sacrificed to God or goddesses, so-and-so... Then you should pass. Even though you may be indifferent as to where it came from, he isn't. And you don't want to send mixed messages to him about who you are worshiping. How often do we send mixed messages as to who we are worshiping? Those around get confused sometimes. Oh, I thought you were a child of God. But didn't I see you at the bar last night? I thought you was a child of God. But didn't I see you over this place and that? Didn't I hear you talking? I saw somebody today. They posted a great scripture verse this morning. And then this afternoon they post, oh, your coworker needs to know sometimes you're going to cuss them out. Come on, what's up there? Now, come on. Your pastor watches your Facebook, Amen. Oh, he caught me. (laughs) They might be watching, but they're not here tonight. (laughs) Come on, somebody. I don't care who you are. That's funny. (laughs) Verse 29. But except for these special cases, I'm not going to walk around eggshells worrying about what small-minded people might say. I'm going to stride free and easy, knowing what our large-minded master has really said. If I eat what is served to me, grateful to God for what is on the table, how can I worry about what somebody else will say? I thank God for it, and he blessed it. So eat your meals heartily, not worrying about what others say about you. You're eating to God's glory, after all, not to please them. As a matter of fact, do everything that way, heartily and freely to God's glory. But at the same time, don't be callous in your exercise of freedom, thoughtlessly stepping on the toes of those who aren't as free as you are. I try my best to be considerate of everyone's feelings in all these matters. I hope you will be too. Wow. The goal was to live well and to help others live well too musicians are going to come i want to close with this i actually want to close with chapter 11 verse 1 cuz most theologians believe that verse 1 belongs to chapter 10 and not really the beginning of a new chapter and paul opens a chapter 11 verse 1 by saying You should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Let others and their salvation be more important than your freedom. Let others' salvation and their walk with Christ be more important than your personal freedom. Understand your environment, understand your circumstances, know know those and the context of where you are, where you're living, where you're walking, where you're working. Let everything you do be about the lost, the unsaved. And let's imitate Christ. Let's follow Jesus. Amen. Can we stand together? Have you enjoyed the word this evening? Let's give the Lord a clap offering. Amen. Let's lift our hands. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your word tonight. And Lord, our goal is to live well. And Lord, we want to help others live well also. Lord, it's about people being saved. It's about people coming into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the act of the Lord's table. God, that we, that we come and participate in the finished work of Christ. Lord, we are the children of God. And Lord, may the May the finished work of Christ on Calvary, may those stripes be applied to our healing, God. The chastisement of our peace was upon you. God, you've come to mend the brokenhearted. And Lord, help us to appropriate all that you are.